You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Audrey Frick joins me today. She does it all, plays the French horn. I feel like the ride of the Valkyrie should be playing right now. She's a wine writer, she was a wine writer, is now the wine director of One White Street, one of the most difficult reservations to get in New York City, and an amazing restaurant. And I just want to say thank you for joining me, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So give me, um, give me the beginning of uh, before you take on the French horn, uh, one of the most difficult instruments to play. But uh, give me the beginning of like the lead up to that. Your music career, I guess, would we'd be calling it, right? Yeah. Um, before you mean before I started playing the French horns? Yeah. So. Like, what, why why pick that instrument? <laughs> it's it's the most difficult because it has the uh, it has like the highs of a trumpet and almost the lows of a tuba. Yeah. Um, it's a crazy looking it looks like a funnel cake kind of folded over it's like why pick that particularly with the challenge of how difficult it is i mean what's in your dna that you're like i'm gonna tackle this yeah right. so i was in junior high school wow and um uh on the upper east side mm-hmm. of manhattan and um they've separated us i remember they gave us a music test like in the early days mm-hmm. of when you are signing in or whatever. And they separated us into people who could basically hear the difference between a pitch and oh. those who couldn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, a, it was so a very what, what rudimentary, <laughs> I had no idea what was going. There was a, basically to the effect of they would play two notes. Right. Does the pitch go higher? Does it go lower? Right. Anyway, they kind of funnel you out. Right. And then, uh-huh. so the, the people who were able to, here are the pitches. Right. <laughs> Got put into band. So, and what do the non-pitch people do? They go into chorus, like chorus, or <laughs> <laughs> carpentry. Yeah. So the. Uh, so that's but why you still had many different options to pick instruments. Why yeah. the French horn? So Mr. Pitt was our band director, mm-hmm. and he was super animated. First of all, I loved him. He was, and he had such great energy and just like verb for it so um and he would hold up every instrument and kind of give a spiel on the instrument and he would attempt to play something right Right. (laughs) just to give a like a sense of what the 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 tone of the the instrument was you know um and so he got through several instruments and a lot of people went for like the trumpet or the flute and you know it, it kind of it really was like kind of a typecast thing right. all the guys wanted like the trumpet and and then the like the bigger dudes would want like the tuba or the euphonium and um and all the girls were like i want the flute and i remember he got to the french horn and he just said this one is by far the hardest one and um he tried to he was like i'm going to try to play something but this is, it's not forgiving, you know, something to that effect. And did it sound, did it resonate with you that, that, that 
you know, did it vibrate and you're like, wow, that's beautiful? I mean, because the French horn is used in the Ride of the Valkyries. The Rolling Stones yeah. used it. Neil Young. I mean, yeah, it's in them. I mean, everywhere. the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, it's so beautiful. <laughs> um, and so you decided, uh, I'm going to be an overachiever at whatever age that was. Like, I'm going to take on the most difficult task. Well, he also, yeah. s- I, I, I believe, I, you know, it's, it's hard to, like, memory is a weird thing. So, and this is a long time ago now. But... Um, I believe he said that if you can do this well, it is the most versatile, beautiful instrument that you can you can play. And so um, that really kind of struck with me. And right. I didn't at that point know or I didn't go to the opera or the symphony at that point yet. But as soon as I f- found that, I was mm-hmm. like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So it's a pretty spoiled place to grow up, you know, <laughs> in the city, you know. You can, as a student, get ten dollar tickets to the Met Opera, and at that time, and you I don't know if that's true that. now, but yeah. yeah, I, I would. Oh, I was shameless. Yeah. I would go in ripped jeans, looking like totally disheveled <laughs> <laughs> after school. Um, I would wait for the first act to be done at the Met. And wait for people to leave because people would leave at intermission, and I'd be like, "Hey, can I have your tickets?" Oh, that's so cool! And you know, sometimes they were, were terrible you? tickets. Yeah. Sometimes they were like right up front, and you're like, wow. "Oh shit, I have to walk right up to the front with my ripped jeans, with looking like this. <laughs> like this is a hot mess." Yeah, like, <laughs> but, how, but how old were you? You were just um. So like, yeah, I think I started doing that. Probably at that point, I was going to LaGuardia High School. All right. And so probably between the ages of four, like around 14. But who doesn't, like a 14-year-old kid comes up to you and says, you know, can I have your seats to the symphony? You're like, what? Oh, my God, yes. Right? That's the next generation. Um, So when you listened, did you take in the entire feel of the symphony? Or were you specifically, like, looking at the French horn and the interplay with the rest of the orchestra? Or No, for me, it was never, like, the soloist mentality or... um, or kind of that vibe. I mean, I, I definitely appreciated it and was sure. like, I, you know, you have to study and play those, perform those pieces. But for me, it's like the overwhelming, all-encompassing sound that you experience with a great symphony orchestra. And the New York Philharmonic was, to me, like the, the epitome of that. And the amount of sound that they could put out. I mean, there's a very, I don't know how much you know, different stylistic interpretations from symphony to symphony. But um, but that that's a, that was a challenging hall at that time. I think they're renovating it now or have renovated it. But um, And for the, the amount, that wall of sound that could right. encompass you from sitting in the very back to the very front. It's, it's pretty crazy, it's right? It's wild. Remember uh, Phil Spector, his whole, like, the way he changed music, he created the wall of sound. And yeah. uh, this is a great story. I think Mike Love was you know, driving down the coast, and for the first time he heard, it, uh, I don't know, uh, I forget the, the actual Phil Spector song, but he said, I had to pull over. I've never heard something so rich and so deep. And he was using two pianos. And using, he was doubling all the instruments to create this incredible wall of sound. Um, yeah, I know, music is so uh, transformative. So then you, did you go to college for... You continued on with your music career. Yeah, I did. So I went to the Manus College of Music, um, which was on the Upper West Side at that time. So um, continued there, ended up in Colorado um, to continue that journey <laughs> and um, went to the University of Colorado as well. Was the intent to be in a symphony? And, um, and so what took you off that road? Yeah, um, no, I definitely wanted to be in a symphony orchestra. There's nothing like that. 
um, you know, not also in a, in in conjunction with that wall of sound, it, there's something, it's an interpersonal thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, to be able, it's a collective group, and it's it's pretty wild, right? It's and it's a form of communication, right? You have yeah. an audience. There's so many levels and layers to that. So, yeah, I very much wanted to be in a major symphony orchestra, but my sights were very narrow. <laughs> On specific, um, um, yeah. like the Philharmonic, or yeah, I wanted to be in the New York. I wanted to be the first or the third horn in the New York Philharmonic. Um, and, or, and I would have settled for the Met Opera, which is ridiculous and stupid, (laughs) but you know, so the reality of it was that I, I wanted to kind of hole up in Colorado and work on just winning an audition. But at that time it was a very challenging time. It was, you know, around 2008, 2009, all that. The bubble. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, my friends in those symphonies were struggling and it was unheard of you know to think of the top five orchestras having to take pay cuts it was never something you would ever consider and i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that yeah and let alone let alone the fact that orchestras were just disappearing and folding completely so um yeah i i I remember that time um it was it was challenging I, i think um you know if if i had maybe had the level of grit and determination to get through it or had the kind of mentality that I do now, maybe it would have been different. But for me, um, you know, I also just needed to, it wasn't like a gig culture in Colorado. So I took a job in a restaurant while I was doing my master's degree. A quick question on the um, uh, music. Can you age out of playing the French horn? Like, is there like, is there a prime? Like, do you hit a certain age and you're like... You're kind of old to be playing the horn because I have no idea. No, because I, mean, I, mean, I mean certainly breath control, lung uh, yeah. capacity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, plays into this ear. You know. I mean, I'm sure if you ask the the people who have been doing it for decades, um, they might have uh, right. some perspective on that. Um, but those people are there are people who are still playing, and you know, you know, the joke or not joke. I don't. It's not a really. It's not a good joke, but you know you do have to kind of sometimes wait for someone to to pass to pass <laughs> to get the gift for I that mean, seat to be. Yeah. There's only four yeah, horns. Check up on them, call and them, and, and hang up. And Fuck, it, they're still alive. You know, and maybe <laughs> yeah. if you're lucky in a big right. orchestra, there's an assistant principal horn, so maybe you have five spots in that symphony, and sometimes you don't need the other three seats. And yeah. so anyway, yeah, it it, it just. Um, the reality of it was just um, that uh, I, I quickly became aware that I was going to have to either move somewhere that I maybe didn't want to move to, to settle, to maybe then get another good job somewhere down the line. But So anyway, it wasn't really a conscious decision to not play the horn. It was more that I took a restaurant job mm-hmm. um, at the Boulder Duchambe Tea House in Boulder, Colorado, and started studying the teas first right. and foremost there were like hundred or so teas, tea, right. yeah. you know and um and really kind of dove into that and then there were a few wines and no no one could tell me about them so i had to study them right and then you know in that quick little search you find out like okay where do you go to study about wine and so i started studying wine and I found out about the quartermaster sommeliers and it wasn't again it wasn't like a conscious decision necessarily right. but I just found my time shifting from being in the practice room all day all night 
to being in the restaurant, picking up extra shifts, being, you know, and in a restaurant like that or in a college town, people are always, someone's going to be hungover yeah, <laughs> and yeah. not want to work. And I'm like, cool, I'll pick right. that up. Like, give it to me. Like, it's the middle of summer. It's hot out. Like, so what was the first bottle of wine that you tasted? And I always say this, there's a one wine that gets a lot of people into the business. Like, the light goes on, the, you know, comes through the stained glass window and they go, oh, I want to do this. Was there one particular bottle? You know, it, I don't think it, if... I don't think there was. Um, I know that's a really mm-hmm. kind of not a great... I, I know I want there to be like this one what? moment. But, um, you know, I do remember there was a moment where one of our reps came in and taught and was just talking about the Mosul. Right. You know, something really so, you know, we think about it now and yeah. from this perspective and we're like, oh, that's a little cheesy. And yeah. like, it was probably not even the best spiel. But I was like, what do you mean there's these sleeves? Yeah, this blue like, slate is, that uh, you can't the, the even like slate. stand yeah. on, and yeah. like it's so steep, and it just was. It was like, wow, that's pretty intense, and this is delicious. Yeah, and it's hard like, to find bad wine from the Mosul. Really, I mean, I think you'd always find like you know decent wine from the Mosul because of, of what we're talking about. This yeah. kind of slate and uh, clay, and like all the cool soils and microclimates in the Mosul. So, but the wine was. Freaking yeah. delicious. Yeah. I could have easily drank a bottle of maybe two, yeah. you know, no yeah, yeah. judgments here. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I hope. It's our but, business. You know, it's like, that. it was electric and yeah. it was great. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's yeah. go. Like, this is cool. So... Um, and so then you just go off on your own journey, like looking uh, at courses and who's got the best wine program in Colorado, which leads you to Bob Stuckey, correct? Yeah. I yeah. mean, he was the, I mean, the... He's the the guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, I've you know um yeah he, he he has some great wine. The guy puts on a road show like nobody's. He's charismatic and uh, yeah he he can he can uh, truly one of the greatest humans. Yeah. Period. And can, yeah, yeah um, but I was actually too intimidated to just go right out and apply there. So there were a couple guys who had worked for him mm-hmm. that. We're going through, um, they had opened a, a restaurant called Oak at 14th. And so I actually applied there as a server before. Uh, and that's how I met Bobby was okay. I would, everybody, um, I would take care of Bobby on Sun and Danette on Sundays at oh. Oak at 14th because the rest of the servers were terrified. Everybody <laughs> was like, I don't want to take care of that guy. He's going to, it's so scary. Why would, he's he's going to drill me about freely. <laughs> and for me, it was like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a little nervous. No uh, question. But uh, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? He's going to teach me something. Like I'm going right. to screw up and he's yeah. going to be like, Hey, actually like you should do it this way. And you know, of course that never happened. No, he's a charming guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. but I always jumped on that, right. like to, to do that and to put myself in that uncomfortable situation. And, um, you know, I'd love to say that I was so comfortable all around him, but that wasn't the case. I was just like, I knew I wanted to be around him, though. So and you, you just said to the rest of the staff, um, take a step back. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do the French horn. Do you know what that is? You probably <laughs> don't. Let me take care of Bob Stuckey. I got this. Yeah. But let's talk about wine for one second. Sweet. I've, I uh, brought a bottle of wine. Um, a lot of times I bring it to match the person or, you know, uh, just have some fun. This is Teutonic. Um, a Barnaby is a uh, insane... Um, History buff, wine guy, uh, you know, sold his first car, uh, sold his car to buy his first bit of grapes to make uh, Pinot Noir in Oregon. Just fell in love. Huge German, actually. Uh, yeah. The Mosul is a huge, one of his passions, why this bottle isn't a, a 
a German Riesling bottle, but it's called Teutonic. Um, it's Alsea, so super high elevation, dry farmed, all that kind of pied de couve to start it off, so indigenous yeast, um, dry farm. He makes just exceptional stuff, so cheers. cheers. And I think uh, you have the similar kind of, you know, outside the box thinking um, about uh, a life and career, and like, if I want to do something, I'm just going to do it. And he just said, you know, I'm selling my car, I'm going to be in the wine business. So here's to Teutonic, here's to your, oh, here's to the French horn. Cheers to that. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super energetic and yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Really pretty. Thank yeah. you. He's a crazy guy. Um, so then you wait on Bob Stuckey, and then you're like, I love wine. Now, what's, now do you end up working for his restaurant, or do you form a friendship after these Sunday nights? Uh, yeah, so I would take care of him usually on like Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. Sunday early evening, and um, uh, Brian Dayton, who was uh, my mentor and my <laughs> boss at Oak and Fourteenth, and he was really trying to find. He was doing the best he could to like find ways and outlets for me within within the restaurant, and it got to the point where like you know I was behind the bar, and then I was going to be a psalm there, and then I was a manager for a second, and. Um, you know, it just got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm ready to take the next step. And he was like, you know what? I totally agree. You got to go talk to Bob. That's so cool. it was like, um, so I called, I, I, I'll never forget this. I, I, I think I maybe just sent him a quick email and, um, said, Hey, do, would you have a few minutes to chat? And, um, literally five seconds later like my phone was ringing (laughs) like i was upstairs in my office like typing this email like over analyzing my two sentences you know (laughs) going through it like the zapruder film i'm I'm pretty good at overthinking (laughs) um and over analyzing but um if i let myself so uh yeah so i'm over analyzing this thing and then all of a sudden i hear like i think my cell phone was downstairs and i hear it going off and i was running downstairs i missed his call and i had to call him back and i was like who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Like, I, I, was, I was like, I thought I would be like last on the right. like list of priorities ever, let alone the phone. But that's just Bobby. He is super responsive. He's okay. incredible in that. And um, he always makes time. So I yeah. don't know how he does it. It's bananas. Yeah, he's, but, a, he's a mentor to many. Yeah. And so he was like, when can you come down and chat with Peter Hoagland, our general manager? And it's like, I can be down there. Anytime you want, came down, chatted with Peter, um, you know, and it's a, if I had known, <laughs> it's a, it's one of those places where, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily pay to have more experience, right? You, no matter where you come from, you're starting at the bottom. Yeah. So, you know, or whatever perceived bottom, you know, like mm. it, most of it, it's perception. It's really like you're going through the process of learning the restaurant. So, um, so I was like, whatever it is, sign me up, like I'm in. And, um, you know, they were like, what do you want to do? What are your goals? What are your five-year goals? And I said, want to run a wine program? And, you know, there's no, like, there's no expiration date or set time that I need that to happen by, but that was the goal. And, and I want to become a master sommelier. And so they're like, great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How yeah. are we going to get there? Cool. So this is like, so he said, this kind of plan and um you know so i started in the operator office got promoted to the polishing room and polished glassware for you know however many xyz number of hours right. a week <laughs> um uh, it's funny because now that's like my comfort zone i love polishing glass it, like it, but it, it, it's kind of like therapy 
Oh yeah. Right. You're just uh, it's just you a cloth in this glass that you're buffing out. It's, I love it. Um, it reminds me of uh, what is that SMR thing? You know, with the sounds <laughs> and the feeling like is a meditation in itself. So yeah, hundred percent. I, totally, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. I take it very seriously. Uh, um, my team hates me for it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> how it is. But mm. now we have a kick-ass team that appreciates it. I think or. They tolerate me. Right. Um, so this is at Frosca. Yeah. And how long were you at Frosca for? Um, I think it was about four years. It was four years oh, there. That's, yeah. that's a long time. So yeah. you, you got to taste a ton of wine. Yeah. Uh, and run through all the gamut of like blind tasting and have probably had a group. And did did Bobby sit in with you on these blind tastings and kind oh, of? Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, he's incredibly generous with his time as the there's finances set aside in the company just to, for education, like so much cool. more than I think. It, it, I hope no one takes it for granted because it's 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 pretty wild and really really lucky to have that as a resource and in, in my past and you know uh, it's it's great. And then we went open and opened a, a restaurant. I stayed with the company and opened uh, Tavernetta in Denver. For, so. Did you get to be the wine director there? No. So Carlin <clears throat> Carr is the wine director of the company and uh, she's freaking badass. Yeah. Um, okay. She's an incredible, she just like Bobby, I mean, maybe in some ways more um, has been like an incredible resource and mentor for me. Um, so uh, between the two of them, it's, it's, it's really amazing. And then there was always Matt Mather there as well for a long time. And, um, so it was just like this powerhouse of like this little bubble. It uh, was a, like it was truly a conservatory. Sure, but and, and and in the same exact idea, you're waiting for somebody to pass so that you could jump on to be a wine director. <laughs> yeah, but right. you know th- I, that was never the goal. Right. It was right. it, that's you know sure there's a com- there's I will I will mm. say <clears throat> at during my time there you know at various stages there's definitely a healthy. Usually a very healthy, competitive nature. You need competition um, to, to thrive, absolutely. No question. And But when we went down to Tavernetta, we actually had a, a team of three sommeliers, um, uh, Tyler Potts, um, Brian Trader, and myself. And um, uh, originally, like I, I was supposed to be like the, the head wine director and, you right. know, went through some kind of like, like personal, like, uh, reflective moments and we ended up going down as being equals and I really and we all really embraced that and it was it was pretty powerful to do that because um you know um you know it, it showed me that you can be a leader and do these things without having a title yeah and it's a great place to be to put your ego aside um, yeah. because we're both in the wine business and I've seen a, a plethora of psalms come in and sometimes the ego is just in- incredible I'll have some psalms just want to browbeat you with all their intellectual knowledge of the you know seven levels of toka and you're like please stop yeah you can't please, I get it you're smart cool <laughs> like, like right. that has nothing to do with awesome. anything and right. you're um, not gonna sell any more wine doing no. that no, you're going to bother people. Yeah. Uh, so then, wh- when do you leave there, and what do you do after that? Because I know we'll, 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 we're going to touch on your writing. Did you get into writing after this, or? Um, yeah, so that was so I worked for Jeb sort of simultaneously through um, all my days at Frosca, and oh, okay. um, I was just kind of a fly on the wall. I would help him open bottles for large importer <laughs> tastings, and um, Jeb Dunnick has got an incredible newsletter, and he's you know. He's amazing. Well known, read, and yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a score to be able to uh, 
to be writing uh, for him and for his. Uh, it's a newsletter, I guess, right? It's a yeah. So he has yeah. um, his publication. It's online right. and it's a killer website. And yeah, he's a, he's a badass. Like, it's an incredible resource. Well. Yeah. So um, and just a really great person too. So I I loved I love working with him uh completely. so how does that happen that he recognizes that this yeah you know, oh, well, audrey could probably write and i should put her <laughs> on the road because i'm sure i'm assuming did you travel uh as a part of that or no uh so so th- this was like from for several years i worked from on a kind of like just a like a pickup basis when he would have these portfolio tastings and i was just kind of a sometimes silent right. fly on the wall sometimes i would say things and right. <laughs> um and then, so I was here in New York. We had I had moved back in November 2019 to open a One White Street, and we thought we were going to be opening in like March of 2020 uh, initially. So yeah. <clears throat> uh, moved back in November. Was helping Dustin over at Verve, right. uh, Dustin Wilson, um, and who's uh, my the uh, partner in One White Street, and so. Um, was helping over at Verve, and um, Jeb sent me a message and was like, hey, you know, I need someone to write about Italy. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy. I have never written anything in my life. Like, um, oh, so you didn't have a writing background? No. No, okay. No, I've barely ever completed a... I don't know how I got through school, <laughs> to be honest. I'm like, laughing because I'm thinking like, about the one sentence email you sent to, to Bob Stuckey that you had to reread 30 times. So, oh yeah, it's it's it was, it's tough. Yeah. Like it's it's definitely a struggle. Um, but uh, you know, so I got on the phone with Bobby and I was like, you know, um, you know, this is a, an opportunity for me, but I don't know what to do. And he was like, you do this. <laughs> James is a great guy. Do this. Like this will be great. Um, you'll figure it out. So, um, yeah, so I, so I was writing, um, I did two reports. I did, uh, Brunello, um, for the 2016 vintage and then, uh, Barolo, um, and Barbaresca kind of broadly Piedmont. <laughs> right. So, um, but let's fill in a little bit of the gaps for people who are listening, because, you know, I hear it all the time in our business. You hear it all the time in the business. Oh, like, oh, right. All you get to do is taste great wine and like drink it and talk about it. Like, how difficult is – tell me what a day looks like when you're writing about – what vintage Brunello? Yeah. Was it 15? 16, 16? and yeah. 15 Reserva. Okay. So, so, uh, it, so t- t- like what shows up at the door, uh, yeah. tasting notes. How many times can you write the word red fruit and tannins? Sure. Before you're like stuck and you need the Venice uh, uh, thesaurus of like, holy shit. Like, I mean, because there are similarities. And there is yes. obviously – there are a very common – uh, components to wines and you're like but you're writing about a vintage and multiple producers so like yeah how do you keep that like going so give me a day or two of doing that so um well first of all um you know this was through the pandemic so i was not able to travel to okay. the region so that is part of the slightly unusual mm-hmm. probably part of that that my introduction to it was this in this way right. in some ways i think that was a benefit in some ways it was probably again great overthinker probably wasted a lot of time so um so that being said hundreds of wines show up you right. know and at you your know, par- at your apartment or was yeah, it an office at, at your my, apartment? Wow. my doorman really oh my god he must have loved you i'm sure you gave him bottles uh, afterwards right at first he was very catty and then he and then he loved me <laughs> i said i'm so sorry here's a bunch of wine i would bring it down so yeah um so and that was the thing i was like so um, so then, yeah, you have to review them. And, um, so I 
you know, I don't, I don't know that I had a system at first per se, like, um, it kind of like got there on a fairly quickly kind of short period of time, but was there one that was easier to write about Brunello or Barolo because um, of flavor profile, et cetera? I think I learned maybe more from Brunello because it's all Sangiovese from one region. Mm. And, um, and that was kind of, for me, uh, very uh insightful and um really it was the first time i had that many wines in succession that i had to you know and i had never scored a wine before i had never written tasting notes you know i i would jot things i i would you know as a sommelier i would jot things down and impressions did i like it Mm -hmm. who would i sell this to who is it great for so i tried to take that kind of mentality into the writing and so say, you know, it's not about, yes, th- that I need to have a point of view, no question. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say what I like. But at the same time, what I like isn't what every, what True. the guest likes. You know, right. and, and here you're in this forum where you don't get that first, you know, what do you love to drink yeah. answer. Yeah. You know, you just are kind of putting it out into the ether. So trying to like, you know, for producers that were fleshier and fuller and maybe have a touch of new oak, like, yeah. Great. This is a kind of gateway for those who drink Napa, or right. you know that this and, but still being able to judge the quality objectively, and say that this might not be something that I want to drink all the time. Yeah. But this is objectively a great wine. It's so, you know. Give me the timeline. So a hundred wines show up at your door. Let's say a hundred Barolos or hundred Brunellos. About what? three or four hundred. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. So yeah. what? How, what's the turnaround time on you writing uh, reviews for this? Do you have a month? Um, that's a good question. I think I had about, yeah, about, a, I gave, I think I had like a month and a half about, and and then I was late. Ugh, mm-hmm. Sorry, Jeb. Pressure's on. <laughs> so, so you're tasting um, what, 10 a day, 15 a day? Oh, more than that. Okay. I had, yeah. And, and he, I was getting faster at it by the, right. uh, towards, I definitely picked up my pace. Um, but really, you know, you should be able to taste more, more than that. Like mm. at least a at least 40 to 80 wines a day but it's a ton and then like but the, i mean it's it's tasting but the differentiating in the words and i mentioned running out of things to say um well i love that you bring that up because mm-hmm. i thought i paid a lot of attention to that and it made me really respect um those who do this mm-hmm. all the time because there is a difference between like say your your kirsch versus your cherry versus mm-hmm. your sure. whatever and yeah. um and it might be subtle and it might feel repetitive, but there are subtle differences that you can communicate. And mm-hmm. um, again, it kind of goes back to like stylistically, how does this wine feel? What is it? What what is it? What is it conveying? Right. Is it is it balanced? Is it energetic? Is it flashy? Flashy? Is yeah. it gonna? Yeah. Is it for right now? Is this for for ten years from now? And you know, um, and the drinking window always like was like killing me at yeah. first you know yeah because like, you just want to go five to ten years <laughs> across the board right like, yeah and yeah, then you're like yeah. well but then you yeah. start to think about it and you're like well actually i don't think that this is gonna hold up it doesn't yeah. have the tension it's right it's kind of you know it it's it's here now and it feels maybe overdeveloped for this moment sure you know and so then you start to like really fine-tune these these things and and be able to revisit and that's where i think having them in my apartment was nice because i could revisit things 
And don't get me wrong, there's definitely palate fatigue, but it's also you can you have the bottle open the next day and you can go back and say, okay, where was I on this? And there's probably no upside to invite other people in on the tasting because like anything, then everybody has an opinion. And now it's even more confusing. So I think being singular uh, is probably the, the most easy, streamlined way to get to A to B. Yeah, like, I, it's my opinion. Because um, I've sat in tastings and like, by the time you hear five people talk, you're like, this is just too crazy. It's washed out. Right. And also, um, I do think, I, I, I fully agree. That was something that took me some time. Because initially I was like, okay, I'm going to... How many people can I get in a room yeah. to confirm if I'm right or not? And it's like, you know what? That's not the point. Yeah. The point is to have an opinion. And you're going to, and that's why people like Jeb. That's why people like James Molesworth, like these great icons in our industry, like people do follow them. And it's really, they're, you know, you can, you can say all you want about scores and, mm-hmm. and all that, but there's some, you know, I'm not saying to chase the high scores, like, right. like that's not the point. But it is, if you read between the lines and fi- and you actually do like pay attention, there's a lot that you can gain. And you know, I, I, I learned a tremendous amount. If I could do both, I trust me, I, I, I really miss it. Yeah. Actually, I have to be really honest. Like, part of my goal for this year is to, like, you know, we're in this new year. For those who don't listen right away, right. you know, like it's. Uh-huh. 2022 yeah. January yeah. and you know <laughs> I, I miss it and I want to um, find a way to incorporate that into my future did, somehow. Did you love Brunello and uh, and Barolo and Barbaresco before? Oh yeah. So, oh, this, okay so that makes it that uh, was that easy. Makes it easy. That part too. was easy yeah. but that being said by the end of the night I was like get I give me anything except wine. Cold beer. Like <laughs> cold beer. Uh, <laughs> cocktail. Margarita. Yeah. Uh, did you, uh, d- I'd be curious to hear your take on the classic, uh, ones that everyone loves. Did, uh, which we don't have to name the names if you don't want, but like I've had bottles of Montprovato, like from Barolo that have, have never come around. And every time in the group says, oh, it's in a dumb stage, but this is going to come around. <laughs> you're like, okay, but it's $500 a bottle. Right. Um, did you find a fair amount of that? Because obviously you're, ex- you're tasting expensive. You're, if you're in Barolo, you're doing Beppe Rinaldi, you're doing, you know, uh, uh, all these guys, right? Well, they don't always, those producers that you're specifically they don't need your score. they don't, yeah, a lot of, and I totally reviewed, respect right? that. And also, it was a, also I, I can't speak for everyone, but you know, and and I don't want to call anyone out mm-hmm. specifically, but you know, a lot of them were like, you know, we would love to have when you can travel again. We would love to invite you to our domain, to our estate, and you can taste the wines here. You know, um, I appreciate that. And. I fully respect that. And yeah, what an honor. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. First of all, Fuck. like number one, like there's this like kind of pinch me moment where you're like, am I really having this conversation with this person via email right now? Like, yeah. how uh, the hell did I get here? Uh, like, I'm a glass polisher. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, play the French horn. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you, so th- that happened. And then, um, and did that just stop? Because I mean, one white street is a, a incredible amount of energy goes into 
uh, this team, which, by the way, is a symphony, and you you are in a symphony when you're on that team. It's uh, um, the service is incredible, and it's uh, oh, thank you. Um, it's beautiful. And it all comes together. Um, so, is that why you pretty much stopped writing, or because um, certainly you can't do you can't do both. That's impossible. I mean, it, opening a restaurant is very yeah. hard, and um, it just takes a lot. And you know, we started with a very very small crew. Um, I was the first one hired for the restaurant like two nice. years before we opened. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I, I, for me, it's, you know, I think the restaurant is a really special place and um, it's what I've been working for so long to do. And, but, you know, again, where we were in March is very different than where we are now. Like we're five, we're five months old now. And Right now, I'm starting to see, like, a work-life balance, so I can start to kind of pull myself out of this, like, every minute being so, like, crucial and in the weeds. Um, You know, we have a wine team now. Oh, my God, that's great. And an amazing wine list. I had dinner. It was spectacular. Um, I love it. The a la carte downstairs, so you can just go in. You don't have to do the uh, price fix is spectacular. And then these little jewel box of restaurants, basically floors, that sit on top of each other with their own kitchen. And it's just, uh, you feel like you're in somebody's house. Um, yeah. Right? I mean, it's just, uh, it's got such a great vibe. There's a reason why you can't get in. Yeah. Austin and yeah. Dustin had an incredible vision for this space. And Richard Felix Ashman, who designed it, is is phenomenal. So he's, this was his first restaurant designing. And um, the, the whole idea was to keep it as a townhome kind of vibe. Yeah. And what, there's some folklore history behind that building, isn't there? It's like something with yeah. artists or John Lennon or something. That, yeah, right? we're yeah. not allowed to specifically say that, but yes, um, <laughs> <coughs> someone <Okay. laughs> owned the building and okay. uh, called it the New Utopian Embassy. You can go on um, oh. on YouTube and find that. It's a it's a great little uh, clip. Yeah, uh, but uh, the, it. So the Newtopian Embassy was this uh, place that was free of borders and diplomatic immunity, and uh, and so um, so there's definitely uh, many little nods to that throughout the building. So there's a six that we have a beautiful chandelier that's a six that rep- is uh, representative of a six string guitar, and um, oh, cool. and yeah. it's 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 a really great place. It's to a, be. It, it's a cool space. So ha- did you get out and travel? Did you get to do some harvests? Uh- um, and you, uh, did you do Donchereville? Were you in Burgundy? Yeah, so I did uh, Donchereville in in yeah. 2015. Right. I did Yuli in in Piedmont in Monfrato in 2014. Wow. Um, do you love Burgundy as much as you love uh, it, Italian wines? You know, I do, yeah. but it's it's so much more maddening. Um, uh, it's something that I think everyone. You know, I want to enjoy it. Of course, when there's great burgundy, there's nothing like it, oh my right? God, yeah. You know, yeah, it's um, the holy grail. And and it it's a, a large part of my heart is in that. Mm. And but it's also like at some points, there the one thing that I don't necessarily love is the 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 barrier to access and sure. that. You know, it's easy for me to say, like, oh, go out and <laughs> drink great burgundy. But, you know, for me, I would rather, you know, as as a wine professional and as an ambassador of wine, <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. I would rather tell people, hey, you, if you want to get into Barolo and Barbaresco, here's a great Longue Nebbiolo or a right. great, like, 
wine from Valtellina or, you know, or Val d'Aosta. Like, sure. you know, something, something that's something less expensive. That's that you a, can spend yeah. $25 on and you're, you're going to fucking love it. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be energetic and it's going to be tipis- It's going to have a sense of typicity right. and a sense of place. And it's going to be great with, with, with XYZ that you're eating. And it's going to have the same transmissible effect. So to me, Italy is a better gateway for getting people into wine. It's there is even though it's more confusing, mm-hmm. it is it's a better gateway. Whereas Burgundy, and maybe this is maybe I'm just not you know completely aware of certain producers that you know maybe I'm you know I'm not saying that this is going to be the way it is forever, right. but. I mean, the reality is there just isn't much of it, period. And yep. there, and everybody wants it right now. Right. And it's expensive because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had uh, Peter Wasserman on. We had a long conversation about Burgundy, and it was it was awesome. But I love Burgundy, too. I, the price point is, is difficult, and then sometimes the bottle variation. So then even when yeah. you go the stretch and you go, okay, there's four of us having dinner. This is, you know, it's a special night. We'll all throw down 100 bucks on a bottle. So it's a $400 bottle, and, and then everyone goes... Hmm, underwhelmed. Yeah, and, you know, it's like... <laughs> it's going to be disappointing, but to your point, a Valtellina, you can name a Sandra Fye, you can name Arpepe, you can love, you can spend $80, $90 on a wine list with their markup and go, wow, that's really good, and you're yeah. like, okay. Um, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, do you still dream of music? Mm, I, I don't, like... Yes, but not in the same. It's not like I live it like a, you know, it's not like I go to sleep and I'm in the symphony again. Right. You know, like there were there were dreams that, you know, as a musician that I would be in it, you know, and wake right. up like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> like I was just in the symphony. Um, so, uh, and I think, you know, once we get kind of through this wave of Omicron and everything, like one of my goals is to definitely get, back out there and and visit these you know i'm still in new york now so right. it's like i need to go there um and i don't listen as much as i would love to because once i turn it on i can't turn it off so i would be wow. I, I if i put on if i went home and turned on a symphony after work at 11 12 1 in the morning i would for sure be up until four in the morning wow. no question and i'd be like just it would be like so it's so much energy that it brings to me, and um, so I, I can't really just like listen to it casually. Um, okay. It's more of like a day off kind of situation. So, um, do you have a symphony you particularly love, like a piece of music from somebody? Which I'm going to close with a good music question anyway. But if somebody's <laughs> like, "Oh, you should definitely listen to this symphony. This will like, this will be your gateway." <laughs> oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think like. Not to be boring, but uh, but I do think that there's something to the classics and the like Brahms and Shostakovich yeah. and uh, I know there's and you mentioned Wagner like the Valkyrie oh, like I love that I yeah. mean if that doesn't like at least get you fired up about something yeah then you're <laughs> whether, dead yeah <laughs> yeah like even yeah. if it's that you hate Wagner you're right. and for there's plenty of reasons to hate Wagner but <laughs> but um, but that stuff is epic and it's you know for that reason you know I think now my you know. Uh, this is super cheesy, but like, you know, Marvel movies, there's like this, like, if you don't like, it can be, yes, it's highly produced and, you but know. But it makes the hair on your arm stand up when you hear it. 
Yeah. Right? And, so, and we can thank Bugs Bunny, actually, yeah. <laughs> for introducing you all to classical music totally. and orchestra. Um, um, so let's pretend uh, you're in a dream and God whispered in your ear and the French horns are playing and said, Audrey, it's going to be your last day on the planet. So we're going to give you a last meal, a last beverage, and a last piece of music as you float off. Oh, gosh. So what are you eating? All right. So I don't love to think about like uh i don't i wouldn't want to recreate something mm-hmm. you know because to me that's like it's never going to live up to the experience right it's so much about this that time and that moment and that place and once you repeat it it loses something to me so okay. um so but that being said um uh, i've been very fortunate to have a really great circle of friends during this whole past couple crazy years mm-hmm. and um I think if I were going to have like a last meal, it would be with all all of those people um, at one of their homes. Specifically, one of my friends, um, Mary and Sabato, okay. um, probably in their apartment um, with one of their meals. But I would have to invite a few like other pod guests. Okay, so fine. like uh, Sam Klontz from sixty three Quentin and uh, and my best friend um, would have to be there, but. And we would definitely have uh, many, many of his caviar hand rolls. Oh. They, you know, I know there's a lot of taboo and like, you know, about caviar and it's being overplayed, but no. Bullshit. Just, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no. Sorry, sorry no. Pete. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't this agree one, with you. This one's wor- yeah. worth it and I could eat that all day, every day. Same. And what are you drinking? Um, champagne, of course. Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to go out with some champagne. Okay. And uh, I don't know that I could hold it to one bottle, but I'm sure my friend Courtney would find something that I've not had before. Super rare and Great. would be Love epic it. and perfect. Cool. And what piece of music, as you say goodbye to me at this dinner party, I'm going to leave now and... You're just going to float away into the ethers. What piece of music is playing? Oh, gosh. And that they're listening to as you leave. Oy. <laughs> you know, this is, it probably wouldn't be classical music. It's too sappy. Like, yeah. I love it, but it's like, right. I, I want to be alive to to see the other side of that. So, um, it would probably have to be like some like cheesy ch- Taylor Swift or something. Like, just... Like some poppy anthem that everyone's singing along to. Oh, I love you don't it. even like remember that it. You know, you're just in that moment, and then yeah, cool, peace out. Like everyone's <laughs> still having a great time. I love. There's it. still champagne left over. Oh god, and, that's yeah, so great. Hopefully, they don't have to clean any mess up for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Audrey, thank you for being on. I want people to be able to find you. So can we get your Instagram? And obviously, when White Street, they should look at the uh, oh, go yeah. on the website. But uh, do you have an Instagram they can follow you at? Certainly. Uh, oh. So uh, Instagram is at Audrey Frick. And, uh, and then our One White Street NYC okay. uh, is our One White Street NYC.com is our website and our Instagram, Instagram handle cool. at One White Street NYC. Well, thank you for being on DHJ Podcast. This was awesome. Thank you so much, John. All right, take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. Bye.